All right, everybody, welcome to another Punchline Reaction episode. This time, it's myself, Chris Fafalius, Steve, Corey, and Trevor here with me. We are Punchline, and we are reacting to our newest episode, which was the Rewind EP episode. This is the episode where things are really starting to get exciting for Punchline in 2002 and 2003. And so far, I will say, guys, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but this has been the episode that the most people have talked to me about so far. Very nice. Yeah, I would say I would say the same because I feel like this is the album that really started to get out there on more of a more of a scale. So that's that's super cool. It's nice to hear from everybody. That makes sense totally um, because. I think rewinds kind of when I became definitely a listener of of Punchline. I know in the last reaction episode I said I, I think I was starting to in major motion picture, but I know that I was with rewind. That's definitely when I when I got in, jumped on board. You had a copy of the rewind DP, Corey? Oh, I sure did. What about you, Trev? Did yeah, you have me one? too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I, the rewind DVDs. Uh on my shelf in my basement too. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, hell yeah. I thought it was neat that we put EP in the title. Like it was an EP, but it also said EP in the title. The Rewind EP. Is that an Arrow thing? Uh, kind of. I think Cursive had an EP that said EP in the title and maybe, and maybe some others. So back up a second. We call it the Rewind EP, but what is it actually called? Is it called the Rewind EP or is it just called Rewind? I think it says the Rewind <laughs> the EP. The Rewind EP. Yeah, I'm trying I'll to I'll look think. at the album cover. Yeah. Do you have it handy? We should have came prepared with our uh, merch. It's incredible. The Like you were saying, Chris, and it was outlined in the, in the episode, the reach of this album. Like the fact that you guys sold 10,000 copies of this EP, of course you were enticing to probably a bunch of labels, you know? And... um. And yeah, it just was reaching so many, so many ears, which is awesome. Remember the days which you guys were certainly one of the champions of, uh, just walking around with a disc band. Hey, check out, check out the band. You want to buy a CD? You know, like you guys cranked. That's totally why we sold that many. For they sure, five dollar CDs. And once again, I will call myself out for being the worst at this. Everybody else was really good at it, walking up to strangers. And talking to people in line, I feel like I'm a, I have a hard time being a salesman or striking up a conversation with a stranger. Luckily, all three of my bandmates were really good at it. And I mean, there was a lot of those that were sold in lines for shows, at malls, probably at, at shows, at our own shows, just walking around. Maybe someone was on the fence. It's hard to pass up a $5 CD. I don't know if you guys did this, but I know in, in my neighborhood, and even like, for example, um, the Berlin Project being from Penn Trafford, I remember buying their CD at Harrison City Video. It was a movie rental place. They had a little, you know, glass shelf up front and they would sell a couple local bands uh, CDs there. And that's where I bought that. And then when my first band, I remember that there was a place in Irwin called CD Extreme, and uh, they were super cool, like the band, and would sell our CDs. I remember going in there like every couple weeks, and they would give me an envelope with whatever money people had gave them from buying our CD. Did any like local stores in Belle Vernon or anything like that? Did you guys sell them at? Oh yeah, for sure. There was like some consignment effort. 
Absolutely. I mean, I guess it is consignment. <laughs> right, right. I Yeah, that's great. I don't and and maybe and with the Rewind EP when it came out on Fuel by Ramen, that was the first time that we would find our find that album in, you know, a store proper, but it was very very obscure and rare. Like very few stores had it. Steve, I think this may have worked against us a little bit in the fact that we sold so many copies of that on our own. And once again, we touched on it in the episode that we like remixed and remastered it and did a little bit better artwork and stuff, but maybe an effort on that first release that got people to stores to buy it in stores mm. would have made stores want to order our CD more. You right, know? right. Hey, I looked at the art and it does say on the cover, it says the Rewind EP. Wow. There you go. Nice. Uh, I think I noticed a little bit of difference of memory, especially when it came to like record label stuff and feelings and emotions. Most notably, we were all feeling or remembering feeling different things going into that show where people from the label were going to come and see us and stuff. I guess maybe we were stressed or excited or whatever. I don't really remember being all that whatever about it. I, I don't know, Steve. I remember feeling just prepared because it was the end of a tour, but I would typically get pretty uh, nervous or uptight when like someone was going to be there to see us. And it definitely felt like something was on the line, but we started playing and it was just, I was just so happy about like that tour with Unsung Zeros. And it was just a very much a celebration of that. And it was like such the best show for that, for uh, Fuel by Ramen to come and see us play at for sure. But I remember after we played, I was just so happy because it felt so good to like know you did well when it mattered. Not always yeah. the case. Right. You're just relieved to just have killed it on a very important show. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah, that worked out really well. I, I mean, you guys all know that I'm like just a big, big fan of big shows or important shows being at the end of a tour. Totally. And that that couldn't have worked out better for you guys to have them come the last day. Now, we talk in yeah. this episode yeah. about how we had this thing where we weren't going to we weren't going to solicit ourselves to record labels like we wanted them to come to us but that was because we initially like sent out albums to record labels and we got like some rejection letters and i remember we would like put together elaborate like what felt like sending elaborate gifts <laughs> and like i think finally we were like this just like we just want we want somebody to want us because of the music and so that uh, it ended up ended up working out, but we had to hold out for a while. It took a while for somebody to come our way. Well, labels a lot like a, a girlfriend, I guess, right? You, you want to know that that they want to be with you, right? You don't, for you man. Yeah, you don't want, just want her to want your candy. Yeah, I mean, it's happened to me several <laughs> times, and I I should have never offered the candy. I should have just been candyless. Hey, we didn't really talk about so much about how there's like kind of screaming on this EP. There's a little mention of it. I said that it's of the time. Right, right. I just remember earlier in our band when we would go on tour and a lot of the opening bands would sound like, like want to sound like Blink-182. And then Thursday came along and all of the opening bands like had a screaming person. And at that point I was like, oh man, I I wish the band still sound, we're trying to sound like Blink-182. I don't realize how good 
how good I had it. <laughs> but um, I think that I would credit Thursday coming along and like having in- influenced other bands yeah. and and us for sure on on doing the doing that. Well, and because it was, you know, the the perfect balance of screaming with melodies, right? Because you guys were always singing it, and that's what I thought. Uh, Thursday did so well, you know, combining those two things. For sure. I remember when Thursday came out, and I just remember the coolest kids liked Thursday, and that if you had that bird, <laughs> this is totally irrelevant. It's just a memory I have of like the first time I started seeing Thursday pop around. I've heard you reference that several times, Steve. I think I may have not even have included it in the actual episode. the The Thursday thing, I don't think of them as being the band. I remember liking a few songs by them, but I would think more like. The used, yeah, the used. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if the used was around. I mean, I guess they were. I think they were around probably the same time, right? Around. Their yeah. their big album wasn't until like they didn't get big until two thousand four. Yeah, I think Thursday was definitely big before the used. Yeah, we did. I mean, we also liked we liked Grade, and we liked yeah, Snapcase and some. Oh yeah, I, but I don't think we were doing it because of Earth Crisis. Or something. <laughs> it was once it became more of an an emo thing. Yeah, I liked Glassjaw. It yeah. was just there were there were bands that used screaming in a tasteful and exciting way, and it wasn't screaming the whole time. And then, man, oh man, did it become by the mid mid two thousands there? Oh, that was rough. Right, right. Oh man, especially you know if a band got to a point where they were they had honed their craft enough, then it was tolerable but man like playing with a new band that was doing it it was that was a very bad time right <laughs> what well, was a whole new band member was created uh, you know bands had st- their screamer yeah right what do you do in the band uh, I'm, I'm the screamer <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that i guess i i don't really think that i guess i was the closest thing you're, to our you're the screamer. i was more of the shouter though <laughs> i would shout well things. you know it it's like everybody was very dynamic, so it was, which was I think added to just the the writing and the songs, the production and stuff. So like even you, Steve, you would always get to that point where you kind of break up, you know, like right, like your voice would kind of hit a point where it got aggressive, you know. And I think there's a lot to be said about that idea of dynamic in any kind of song, you know, depending on the degree. But it always translated to me as like a shift in energy that was taking the song to different places rather than, um, you know, gimmicky or just like, a, you know, whatever. By this era, just like in the mid to late 90s, it was like every punk band had like one or two ska songs on their album. It was like by this era, it was every punk band had like a couple songs with like some screaming on right. it or whatever. Oh yeah. And my band definitely had that going on for sure. Yeah. It was like a necessary part. And Steve, what do you think? It, what do you think our most unnecessary screaming is? <laughs> uh, the thing at the beginning of Power Off.
over the top. Because it's just like, mm. it's not like words, isn't it? Just like, rah, rah, It's vomiting. <laughs> Should make a lyric video for that. It almost feels like you're, jo- like you're joking. Like it's done with like tongue in cheek. Right. I was right? like so into it and just like trying to feel it that it wasn't really, it was like a little off time. And, but I was, I was really giving it my all in there. I do think that translates though, you know, like it, it, it at least back then, you know, it was as as a listener, it felt like, yeah, oh, this is just like capturing the energy of the live show. Right. You know, like where you just be like shouting some shit while you're rocking out to this part. Well, I think, too, then like, you know, the whole emo thing was happening. And that means, you know, emotional. And what's more emotional than anger and screaming? So that, right. I think that's kind of probably why it was a big part of it, too. I don't think I realized how eclectic the music scene was, but I've been thinking about it with making this podcast. And around this time, you know, we liked emo, like the Get Up Kids, and we liked some pop punk bands. But then there was like Dashboard Confessional was playing acoustic. The anniversary was like kind of psychedelic. There were hardcore bands, but it was all just all just one thing to us. And I think that's cool. It is crazy it was all one thing. I was thinking about a direct, what I'm pretty sure was a direct influence on the song Rewind was the Jimmy World song Blister. Cool. What a song. Yeah. The part in Rewind, it's the take this tape, throw it down. Now I take this tape, throw think that was really going mm. for a a blistery thing i love that man i love that song oh dude i mean clarity we could talk about that all night what a record right and and like i was actually jotting that down as i was listening to you know um the episode and just thinking about the songs like how i mean i know that i was super inspired by clarity at that era time of my life and the music i was making and i felt that same for you guys like i mean you know thinking about the like the goodbye sky harbor uh long outro like stop you know like mm-hmm. like just kind of like really leaning into it like let's make something that's you know and you guys pointed out like writing what you wanted to hear which i thought was a, a great point and i mean it's kind of an always always a great way to to make music you know i remember we would play a game in the van that was trying to come up with another vocal part for over top of the end of goodbye sky harbor There's like a thousand vocal parts, but then it was fun to try to come up with right. just one more. <laughs> what what one more little melody can you creep in there? Man, that's awesome. We had a lot of good guests on this episode. We did. I think I think we uh, that was oh, our most great guests. heavy hitters. That was our most guest appearances so far, and I thought that really helped tell the story. I mean, Corey and Trev, I'm sure that you agree 
as you know, you're not in the story yet, but did you feel like having those other voices in there helped move the story along? I thought it was a very big help. And and it's just cool to hear that, you know, the story that's being told. There's so many people around the band that were part of the story that should be talking to, you know, like Josh. I loved hearing about that. And most any band from Pittsburgh that started playing shows back then worked with Josh. And it was it's just insane. The, the, he was like 13, 14, booking all these shows, running websites and uh, well, just crazy. Hey, I got to say something about that real quick. I will say Josh was helping us out at that point. But Steve, something we did not talk about at all, and I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Josh was definitely not doing our shows in Pittsburgh. Who was? Oh, wow. How did we not talk about John Ronaldo and Joker Productions? Yeah. Oh, my. I mean, there's just so much. So much happened in these years. It's a lot to cover. But yeah, totally. That guy, yeah, he helped us out, and he also, I don't think anyone has ever yelled at me to the degree that he yelled at me. <laughs> he, he was a polarizing person. I will say that. there were, He got a lot of shit talked on him by bands, but I think that we had a symbiotic relationship with John. We were willing to sell tickets to shows when we were starting out, and... Therefore, we'd make two bucks a ticket or whatever, and we'd sell 50 or 100 or more tickets to a show. He would benefit from that, and we would benefit from getting in front of a crowd. And then he he did our shows as we got bigger at Laga. And, you know, we all had our, our moments with John, like like what you're talking about, Steve. But but in general, I we, we had a good working relationship together. I just always felt like he didn't like anybody so I really wanted to just kill him with kindness and like, <laughs> like show him like yeah. some people are just nice and like it, it, you can be okay with it and like be nice back to them or something. Sometimes I think I got I got through to him. I don't know. Well, I mean, in life, I think a lot of people think that because someone like treated them wrong or did them wrong, that just everyone that knows them is supposed to just be on their side and hate that person. But in this case, you know, it's especially when you're a band and, and working with promoters and stuff, you only can treat people and work with them based on how they've treated you. And I think John Ronaldo treated you guys amazingly. Totally. I used to walk down to Laga during, like when I went to, when I was at Pitt, I would just walk down the street and, and go to Laga and I would walk up the three floors to where the box office was, where they took the tickets and he would be working the door most times. And I would just be like, hey, what's up? I just want to stop stop and see you. And like we'd chat for a while. And then finally he'd get busy. He'd be like, you can, you can just go upstairs, man. Like you can go check out the show. And I'd be like, oh, cool. Thanks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you were sweezling I mean, in. I, you I can't even tell you how many shows I got into for free just by like continually just showing up at the door and like. Lingering. Yeah, lingering. Yeah. For for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, Joker Productions did most of like the really cool shows at the club we talk a lot about, Club Laga, which was like our home-based club, the place we love to play. He did a lot of shows, and I think part of the reason that people got upset was they didn't want to sell tickets. And then you'd see a lot of the same bands opening the shows because they were the ones that were willing to like – get out there and sell tickets. And that's a whole, we could talk all 
podcast about that. We're believers in that. Now, if you had to sell tickets and you didn't get paid from them or something, or you had to, you had to literally buy those tickets if you didn't sell them, that's a different thing. It was more like, yeah, you could not sell all your tickets. You could give some back, but then you might not get asked <laughs> to play again. It was very much a business. It was very business. It Everyone was not- in our scene, like everybody in the punk scene, it was about being nice and like you were really passionate about music. And I'm not saying he didn't like music, but he did not seem like the lo- like he was doing this because he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did love music. He's though. definitely more a businessman than he for was sure. a music fan. For yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, but we, I, I, I like John, and I, I think that yeah, it was. You didn't see John at the punk rock show with the mohawk. Like he wasn't a kid. He was a man. He was a businessman who ran a club, and and that's all there was to it. And there's something to be said for that. And I and think those, hey, those those people are very important to the industry. Some of those people are music fans and business people. And I think, you know, those sometimes are the best to work with. You get the best of both worlds. But I think that John Renato isn't very it's not a unique thing either. I'm sure Trev, you probably have promoters from when you first started playing in shows out, out in Philly that were kind of that kind of vibe. I know I did. For sure. And another thing for any any of the kids and children <laughs> listening to this <laughs> podcast, uh just just so we're clear on this too, like I think that what people look at the hey, here's tickets, you need to sell them, blah blah blah. That's what they want to see is that a band is down to work hard and put the work in and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I also think that that gets confused with the term pay to play a lot. And that's that's not what that is. Uh, you know, pay to play is, hey, give me this amount of money and you can play this show or sell all these tickets and you don't get any money for the tickets. And that, those, that's a different thing than what was happening. I will say that one of the most messed up thing, we've been a part of a few of them in our day. And then at some point we realized, like, this is not cool. I think the battle of the bands thing is such a bad... Oh yeah, we didn't talk we could have talked about those in earlier episodes how emotion <laughs> we like lost battle of the bands at first and it was just like so emotional and then we would later go on to win a battle of the bands but those were th- those things were such a scam that's like yes so unnecessary we thought it was so just like no we just got to get into that into that room and play that stage and then everything's gonna change yeah we used to think that like the best band won battle of the bands they always were set up like no whoever had the most friends right. comes wins the battle of the bands you know <laughs> yeah and and also yeah what a funny what thing. a terrible thing to battle pit bands. bands against each other you know i i personally i'm not steve i personally like sports and i like competition but music <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe that's setting you up for the real world where I guess music is kind of a competition, but in your local scene, you should be friends with all those bands and be working together to build something up, not not trying to like defeat each other. Right. It was like most of the people who would participate in those didn't understand what the playing field was really like. And so it's like everybody thought there was so much more at stake than there really was and people would get kind of uh, crazy about it. <laughs> the prizes would be like, a day at a six hours of recording time at the worst studio yeah. you've ever Always seen. Studio. Yeah. studio time. <laughs> yeah, studio time. Hey, one th- one thing that I want to point out from this episode that I think is really funny is how when we signed the contract to Fuel by Ramen, it was on Christmas Eve, and all of our dads were there. 
My dad was not there. <laughs> I'm pretty the sure he was there. He was not there. My my parents, I love my parents a lot, and they've been supportive of me. Hey, you know, my parents got me that minivan that we got to play our first show. They've, they've done a lot. We practiced in the house. But when it came to, like, you know, my parents haven't been to a lot of shows. I don't blame them. I don't go, I don't go hunting with my dad. He likes to hunt. You know what I mean? Like, we have our <laughs> differences or whatever. And if they come, that's cool. But, no, I did not have any parents at that. But Well, my dad and PJ's dad were there, and that was that – was, that was plenty of dads. It was Christmas Eve, you said? Yes. Why was it that day? I think it was something like Fred, who was our manager, was in town, like passing through on Christmas Eve, going to visit his parents or something. So we got together and and, and looked at it. I didn't understand any anything That's rad. about it, really. It's pretty cool that I would do want to say that Fueled by Ramen, who at the time was not the Fueled by Ramen. I mean, they had some cool bands and it was obviously a cool label, but it was very much smaller at that point. And I, how lucky we got with the people. Because think about all the record labels and the horror stories you hear about these I weirdos know, right? that, yeah. that run some of them. And we signed to a label where it was just all these super cool people that just loved music and like Adam Similian, who's in the episode, he's a perfect example. Just all these like super nice, cool people who just cared about the music. And I think that, you know, it's really awesome. And it's probably why they were so successful. I think those type of people is just to uh, kind of people I was talking about before that are very good business people and music fans. And they definitely are. I mean, I still see Adam sometimes. Um, and yeah, it's just great. Dude loves Loves music, loves going to shows, and obviously, Phil by had very good business brains over there. Yeah, it was a great home to be in, you know, great company to be in for you guys, you know, just supportive people that got what you guys were really doing, you know? Yeah. I don't know if Adam was just, well, this is something we should talk about now, but I don't know if Adam was just saying that, that they watched the Rewind DVD there and would quote it and stuff. I'm pretty sure Adam's mom has quoted the Rewind DVD to me before. A highly quotable movie, for sure. That's pretty awesome. So let's talk about the Rewind DVD. We're skipping around a little bit. If anybody's listening and if you haven't seen it, it is in three parts on YouTube. It actually is. And... We were trying to be funny, <laughs> and and we, I think we did our best for, for being young, and comedy, man, comedy changes fast. What you thought was funny five years ago, you're probably not going to think is as funny as you did. Right, right. Our friends Johnny and Eric did the editing, is that right? Um, They did a lot of filming. Yeah, we all did some editing. I think I did a good bit of it on that one. I think Johnny did a good bit of it on the action DVD, which we'll get into in the next episode i think having those guys in it helped make it more like the humor of our friends well and you know to that point steve i was going to say that same thing that it, it did that seemed to be the aim of it like you guys were like hey let's just make the jokes for our friends and it's kind of infectious because of that you're not trying to like be like oh we got to make uh you know millions of people laugh right here. it's like no let's just like fuck around with our buddies and like laugh about the the weird shit that we think is funny, you know? And um I think that that in turn makes people like it too, you know? So the food dance which is in the Rewind DVD, that was actually supposed to be some other like an actual cooking show that we were making, but then when you took pieces of the food of the food dance or 
I forget what the show is called. Adventures in Cooking. Adventures in Cooking. When we took clips from Adventures in Cooking and plugged it into the Rewind DVD, it was the most random thing ever. So we 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 went with it. I've had people <laughs> say to me in certain aspects. I mean, obviously that was years and years before I'd ever seen anything Tim and Eric did or anything like that. But we kind of had that sent whatever you want to call that, just like weird stuff and just put it out there. I think that's always been my sense of humor. And it was kind of like when Tim and Eric came along, I'm like, that is exactly what I like. That is exactly what I think is funny. And, you know, there's stuff like that in the action DVD too. And I think that another thing I will say, we should keep this in mind now too, is a lot of things we do, we like think about it a lot. Sometimes just picking up a camera and just going, just whatever comes to mind, film it. And if it's funny, you know, you never know what's going to come out. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. that's an important thing. You know, I, I sometimes I, sh- I stress about trying to do something that's funny. I'm like, well, we're not like the state. <laughs> we're not we're not uh, the kids in the hall here. We we can't write comedy, but I, I guess we could on the spot come up with something funny sometimes. I was thinking about from this era, you know, the Rewind DVD ends with I play that song on my parents porch oh yeah but then we went into a recording studio to record it and trev came oh yeah what studio what that was like a studio Um, a friend of yours and you were like yo i can get you into the studio i'll get you a good deal we were like okay what are we gonna record and we were like let's go record that song so we gave it a whirl the song never came out it didn't get quite finished it just didn't like i don't know we weren't weren't feeling it so it never got released do you remember anything about that, Trev? I remember you were wearing your blue glass jaw hoodie. I, no. <laughs> oh shit! All right. Well, I'm. I, yeah, I'm kind of spacing on it. I I always think back to um, going with you guys to when you guys were recording icicles. Yeah, we'll talk about that next. That's a next episode thing. Okay. That well, that one sticks sticks in my mind more. But um, I probably just need my memory jogged or something. Trev, you're you're on that song, right? On uh, which song? I don't think I'm on it. No. I thought in one way or another, like you did something. On I it. remember like, you know, throwing out a suggestion or two and, and maybe one of them like made it, you know, made it in there with like, oh, maybe this should stagger when somebody hits something or other. But um, no, I don't I don't think huh. maybe I did a gang vocal thing, but I don't know if there was that or not really. <laughs> Try to say, hey, I have a. Uh... 13th part we can add to this song right yeah here guys throw this in there but hey i have a uh uh, rewind dvd story i had some some jealousy going on because some kids i went to high school with that were in my grade are in the rewind dvd (laughs) they play young punchline and jared drystat and my friend shavar and uh dan garrigan were in there and uh i remember being really jealous i thought that was so cool and I wanted to be cool enough <laughs> to be in Punchline DVD. But you know what? They might have won the uh, the battle, but I think I won the war. You did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, to, you got to be in the band. Yeah, I thought that we got kids to play young Punchline. And Steve, when I rewatched that, I was like, wow. Right. We actually filmed that at the place where yep. we actually started our band and back in your woods at the fire. Dude, we used to have campouts. That's where we started a band at a campout. We had campouts back behind Steve's parents in the woods. Those are pretty fun. <laughs> Campout's fun as hell, yeah. Hey, did you know that we met Bayside? It was on it was on March 7th. So it was on 37 
2003. Whoa. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you know, I cut that out that he said, because Anthony actually said that, and I cut it out because right. it's funny that these little things where I'm like, well, it's not important to the story for this to be exactly true to chronology, because we had we had set it up, or you had set it up like we met Bayside on that first Unsung Zeroes tour. Right. But it actually wasn't the first one. It must have been the second one, because that was 2003, and that first... Unsung Zero's tour was 2002. So I was like, eh, I'm just going to cut out that he said that. And, <laughs> and we'll talk about it in the reaction episode. Got to do little stuff like that here and there. No, I like it. I like the, I keep thinking of things that we could probably fit in the episode, but then I say, oh, we'll just leave it and we'll, we'll talk about it in the reaction episode. Well, hey, Steve and Chris, on that note, a story that I think should have been in there and I'm not hundred percent sure that it, that rewind was, it was this era. But the story of you met someone very famous, uh, their bus was around and you guys gave them a CD, right? And he like gave it back and said like, I I don't, actually, I'm not going to listen to this. Was that the Rewind EP that you gave him? No, that was a major motion picture, but did we not talk about that on the podcast? Wow. I don't think you did. Who was it? It was Henry Rollins. We saw Henry Rollins at at a truck stop. Oh, shit. After Warp Tour, I think. And... We gave him a CD, probably like we're so polite, like, excuse me, Mr. Rollins? Mr. Rollins. (laughs) And he took the CD and, you know, seemed nice, but like, you know, took the CD, but wasn't maybe overly nice. And then he came and knocked on our van like half an hour later and, and was like, you could tell he was tired and said something like, hey, I just want to let you know, I went through the CD, I listened to like the first 30 seconds on each track, like, you guys are good, you have good melodic sense, and like, you can tell that you're going somewhere, you just got to keep going, you just got to keep going with it, and he like, you know, gave the, he's like, here, I'm going to give you the CD back, because I get a lot of these, and I remember I made the joke like, no, you should save it and put it under your pillow, I'm like, that's not even really a joke, but uh, (laughs) it got a little bit of a laugh, and uh, he was super sweet, and I cannot believe that 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 happened. Wow, that's incredible. So he listened to it yeah, right he, then and he there. That's took awesome. it on the bus and, and, and scanned, or scanned it. it. I thought you were going to say he just immediately gave it right back to you. That's what I thought the story was. Oh, like. no, no, no. He, he took it and listened to it for a little bit. Yeah, I love that guy. I love that story. Nice. That's sick. Yeah, for sure. Fan for life. We should have talked about that. That was a major motion picture. I wish would have waited. I, what punchline album do you think Rollins would like the most? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was trying to remember how, so Shelly Yakis remixed the Rewind EP, and I guess Fueled by Ramen suggested that we get it remixed, because I definitely didn't have the ears at the time to, like, I was like, remix it? What do you mean? It's perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're bringing this up, because I'm curious about that. I feel like now we're older and have worked on a lot of music and your ears are a little more objective at, at hearing things. But that's so cool that Shelly Yakis got involved. And I remember driving around wherever that was in New Jersey and feeling like we were in the land of Bruce Springsteen. I thought that was a cool story. And actually in the episode, I think somebody says that it was Fred's idea, your manager at the time, to remix it. Fred was the connection to Shelly, for sure. Okay. So, yeah, well, I I was always curious about that. Yeah, was it the label who was like, hey, you know, 
we'd like this to be remixed or was it? I just remember it seemed like a good idea and we were all on board with it. I think we felt a little bad about Billy that he might be, you know, his feelings hurt that we had the, had it remixed or something. Um, right. Yeah. That could be touchy. Which that was that was the last that we never I don't think we ever recorded with Billy again, but Oh, man, is that he, it? That was the last that, I think that was it, but he he got us on our way for sure. But I mean that EP helped him get a name in in Pittsburgh cuz I I know for sure um my band did a a full length uh with Billy and Rewind EP is that is why. Nice. I reached out to Billy about being on the podcast and never he never responded. I mean, we've seen him in recent years. I think he likes us. Uh, but he never responded to my email. Billy, if you're listening. He didn't even respond. Oh, no. damn. But now we're past. We're past the Billy era. Well, hey, regardless of, you know, feelings being hurt or whatever, it was the right idea, right move. And it was an awesome move. And it, I mean, sonically, it added so much to the songs, cool. you know. But it, but it also stepped up the professionalism of the whole band, you know. And um, it felt like how do we bump this up to the next level, you know? And and I remember just being like, wow, because I, I loved the original Rewind mixes, you know, I, I I did. And then getting that re-release, it was just like, man, this is spacey. I, I was in the place where I, I, you know, have been for years, but like somewhere in between, you know, um, Pink Floyd, like psychedelic rock, and and punk you know so i was always super drawn to this album because of that fusion that i felt like you guys were working on my band pco at the time was very much into that i mean so wait when did when did oceans come out because did did oceans influence the rewind ep Uh, like how do those line up we were doing it at the exact same time 2002 or, or like around the same time, 2002, uh, we were recording Oceans, and then it came out the summer after, 2003. East, co- East and Western Pennsylvania unite under the umbrella of pop prog. Yeah, pop exactly. Prog punk. <laughs> the beast in the East and the best of the West, man. <laughs> no, I thought that was amazing, and I, I really do think that just you know fused our connections together stronger. You know, just because we we're, I think we we're just in the that same headspace of like, you know, saves the day meets, I don't know if you guys were into Floyd or whatever, but shit, I was. And, and, you know, I just love that idea of space punk. I got into Pink Floyd because I think of, of tall Dave, who, what you went to high school, you went to high school with. So we worked, we worked together. Yeah. I didn't get it from you, but I got it from somebody from your high school. Oh, good. Some, somebody in the, (laughs) in the Philly Bucks County area. (laughs) Wait, so wait, what year did oceans come out? Oceans came out in 2003. Okay. But we recorded it the year, the summer before, 2002. So, like, my fresh, you know, freshman year of college was like writing Oceans while we had all met and been hanging out and like um, right. going to shows together and stuff. Let me interrupt for a second. For anyone who's listening, Oceans that we're talking about now is a, I guess you'd consider that a full length. It's kind of yeah. like a, what is it, seven songs? We, we always called it an EP. Yeah, I, okay, okay. But yeah, it's I guess it's seven tracks, you know, toes the line. Trev's band, Procession Came Opposite, we call them PCO for short, put out this, it's a concept album about the ocean called Oceans. And for my money and all our friends and everything, it was on a level with anything 
anything that was out there. So I raced left to the edge of the sky. And this wave carried me forever. And this sunset staring me for days. And this sky couldn't carry me any better. And it might be just what I need to make this I mean, you weren't touring full-time or anything like that, but that album's just as good as anything mm -hmm. that was out there at that time. I still think it's, like, one of the best punk albums. And, like, for example, like, our friends in the band Much the Same, they still love that album. Anyone you played it for was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And it should have been, like, a classic, legendary album. It's just that, you know, I don't know. What what held PCO back? Well, appreciate that. I mean, every actually, everything just fell apart, you know, Totally with the band after, after that. I mean, everybody was in college, you know, like two of us were in Pittsburgh, two were in Philly and things just kind of splintered. And then after that, just trying to rebuild the lineup never took hold. I mean, it, we had some other iterations, which were amazing, you know, and, and really fun. And we made some other cool shit, but like we never could get to that point where we could just, I don't know, really get out and, and do it. Would you say that you guys just like couldn't find your wave? <laughs> Where's my wave? I was constantly wondering, wondering where is my wave? So, um, yeah, I'm still looking for it here and there. Um, <laughs> if anyone sees Trev's waves, let, please let him know. I think that calling it Prague Punk is pretty accurate for what we were doing and what you were doing at the time. We didn't know we, I don't think we knew we were doing that. Right. But looking back, we're Pennsylvania like Pennsylvania pop prog punk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pop prog punk. It was, it was a cool era. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like, I mean, I, I do look at, at the rewind EP as, as a kind of a concept album. I mean, it just, it, it, each song played off of each other and there, what there is this larger concept at play, you know, Oh, hey, look at that a little play on words there. But um, so I don't know. Kindred spirits from from the early days. Hey, Stephen, Chris, I, I'm sorry. I have to ask this question. I'm just so curious. When the EP was remixed, do you guys remember at all like how files had to be given to the other guy back then did you have to bring him a hard drive adat probably right adat tapes no i don't think it was adat i want to say that it was a bunch of cds or a, ma a mailed hard drive wow probably a mailed hard drive a mailed hard drive nice yeah that sounds right i mean we were in pro tools at this point so you just needed to transport the files i imagine it was i dude i Steve, I think I remember my hard drives at that time. Remember how big a hard drive yeah, was yeah. to for what you could fit on like probably a thumb drive now? Right. Uh, but I do think that we had a, a square physical hard drive. That's a good question, though. Hmm. I actually have a couple hard drives here at my house that uh, producers had given my old bands. Like when you finished a record, we had to buy a hard drive and give it to them, and then they would give us like the sessions on a hard drive. And I still have. Oh, at least one. It's a big ass hard drive. <laughs> Something that we talked about on here too was like, obviously we signed to Fuel by Ramen, and that was had the less than Jake connection, and that was our first 
I don't remember how many shows that was, Steve, like the first less than Jake run we did there, but that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. I was like, wow, we're on a tour with a big band. We've been doing some tours, but it was with our, our peers who were like doing the same thing as us, you know? Right. We were would sneak into clubs every now and then, like on the Unsung Zeros tours, they were a little bit better. And like, you know, once every couple nights we would play somewhere that was like a real club that other real bands would play. But we were definitely filling in dates with a lot of like more of the makeshift hall type places. And then once the Fuel by Ramen thing happened, um, and we were playing with Less Than Jake. We were definitely playing more in clubs, which was super cool. That brings up a good question, too. I think, when did you guys get an agent? Like, when was your first agent? I was thinking that, yeah, that same thing. Was was Who was getting you the these shows? I think it was with the Rewind EP or with Action, Chris Ring, our uh, Buffalo promoter, who's still our friend to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, dude. Became he wasn't an agent, and I think maybe he had booked some other band before, but we kind of made him into our agent because he was he was such a such a bro. Oh, cool! Yeah, he's somebody we need to get some audio from for <clears throat> upcoming episodes. I think uh, for sure. Yeah. Then at some point, was it the agency group that we were with? Yes. Steve? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that shows shows you how much I I remember about that <laughs> that part of the business. Uh, but that sounds right. <laughs> so when you came aboard to the label, like that came came with it in a sense. No, not necessarily. We had the label, and we didn't have. We still didn't have. I want to say we didn't have an agent for a while. Wow. I mean, almost. I I don't think we had an agent until thirty seven everywhere, and then we got like a really good booking agent, and we thought. We were going to be set, but he, I think we were like the, the smallest, tiniest pebble on his mm. roster. We're going to get into this several times during this podcast, but what I was going to say is you never want to be the low man on the totem pole. Like you don't want to sign to a big label and be the least important band. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be the most important on a smaller roster of bands that or you know some somebody's priority it, it doesn't feel good to be low on the totem pole for sure yeah and it's just uh and i think feel by ramen kind of at that point too was the right decision for that reason maybe like even if there was a major label interested at that time like feel by ramen probably would have been the better choice because you want to work with people that have something to prove too and they're gonna really work super super hard You're like yeah you don't want to be that the little fish in that big pond And I think we're absolutely going to be doing some reflecting as we move forward about like decisions that we made and like, would things have been different if we had made this decision instead of that decision? So far in our story, I think that we've made nothing but good decisions. Would you guys agree? I agree. Yeah. Been a lot of great decisions. Yeah. Yeah. It might be hard to say blanket. Every decision's been the best. But. I mean, I think taking Chris out of the center was a bad idea, but that's about it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we were very just still running on like total excitement, you know, and we're just so excited that we were working and just things kept getting bigger and bigger and we kept following our instincts. And it's just so funny how it's like you play with three bands and like we got the best and like those guys are really cool. That one band's really cool. You play more shows with them. You meet their friends and like, wow, that person's really cool. And just where all those relationships and little 
little, you know, split second decisions and following your instincts took us. It was crazy. Yeah. Sure. I heard Jarrett Reddick say something really interesting on an episode of, oh, it was a Krista makes, I think it was. Yeah. I think that's what it was. An episode. He said that they had a band agreement that any, like when they're starting out in their earliers, that any party, any after party they were invited to after a show, they always went no exceptions. Everybody went because if you go to a party and you hang out with people, you're making fans for life. And plus you get to have fun or whatever. But I mean, we did a good bit of that in these years. We did that for years, for sure. Yeah. We did that for but, years. But I didn't consciously think like, oh, this is, we're doing this to like, but it it is very true. Like, hang out with people, meet people, actually become friends, not just like say what's up at the show. But like that kind of goes a long way. I thought that was interesting. We were, I think we were inherently doing it and not realizing we were doing it. Yeah. Building this, you know, the, the scene really. And like just kind of expanding the, the, uh, the group of, of friends really like at, at its core, it's like, Hey, we're friends now. So you like, we'll hang out next time. And I just happen to play shows. So you'll come to the show. You know, it's like, yeah, like you're saying, it was just second nature. Cause you're just like, Oh, let's make some new friends in this, this city where we're playing, you know? Yeah. I, I think, and it snowballs. I think this, this era, and I'm sure you guys would agree. You probably had the same experience this time in our lives. We made a lot of friends, <laughs> like a lot of people that I still know today. And as the years go by, I think it gets a little bit harder to make friends. But at this time, it was like friends in every city. We're making people our friends. And uh, I think that's definitely something I'll never re regret. It was neat because our college friends at this point had graduated and moved back to where they were from or to, to Philly or New York City and got jobs. And so we had this like supplemental network of just like our college buddies that were all over the place. And which, you know, they were all also like p mostly punk people who would then come to the shows. But I thought that was cool. That's a really good point, Steve. Like once your high school friends go to college and you're like in a touring band that, yeah, the chances of someone you know being in the town you're in and them leading you to a good party skyrocket <laughs> for sure yeah. for sure well before we wrap this up do you guys have any other closing thoughts about this rewind ep episode anything you take away anything that stuck with you trev you have anything that sticks with you from this episode i wrote down like how i just love at some point this gets said that how steve falls in love with bands I just have always loved that. I mean, I, I always remember you being that way, Steve. And I, I always thought that was super cool. And your lists, you're of like, oh, we're going to, we got to do this. We got to do this. I, I, let me, let me just brainstorm and write some shit down. And like back then, and to this day, it's, it just was always inspiring to me to be like, yeah, let's keep the gears turning and think like, what's our, what's our next thing we want to do, you know? Um, and how can we do it? differently or you know in in some way that could kind of grab people's attention the rewind dvd there you go you know i mean like those are the kind of things i'm sure that were born from your idealist steve one of these days you got to post it totally i hope it's just one long like <laughs> like santa claus-esque kind of list it's pretty 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 long pretty long list there 
Hey, I wanted to say that the song Power Off, at some point, I wrote some little intro for that song that's like another 30 seconds. It's like slow that starts it. And I don't, I don't think anybody will ever hear it because I don't know if we'll ever get to, I don't know if we'll ever get to record it. Are you about to play it right now? <laughs> <laughs> we need to add more parts to that song. <laughs> yeah, needed one more. Needed one, yeah. one more part. <laughs> I, uh, I, there's something I did want to mention and talk about a little bit. Um, and Chris, you kind of brought it up on the episode, but uh, play like that. That riff. Learn your lesson. I remember the first time I heard it and I was just like, this is incredible. But I, I, I remember feeling like, how have I not heard this I know. before? It's like a, you know, a, a lullaby almost. Like it's like that melody has to exist other places. None of us are going to know where it does. And I don't know. This happens all the time in songwriting where you subconsciously, you've heard something years ago and maybe it pops into your brain. But I've never come across anything that is that melody. But it is wild. It's like our band name. How did we get Punchline? And how do we get right? How did how you do we get, get that, that you know? riff, that melody? And it's still to this day, I haven't heard like a pop song and be like, oh, there's the play riff or something, something from 50 well, you know, years ago where it's like, oh, there's the play riff. Now I know where, where it came from still to this day. It's all about the presentation and, and the kind of order and speed of things, you know, because at the heart, a riff is scales yeah. you know what i mean and and notes and it's it's just kind of like how you put them together and that's what's so unique about the riff it's really cool because it's nobody's put it together in that way you know well and like uh our uh lawyer buddy told us before lauren uh there was a nickelodeon show that clearly someone at nickelodeon knows punchline i think and they had shimmer and shine came out and in that their theme song you guys can go check this out on youtube it is roller coaster smoke the others are coming to take us away i don't know what they want because they never say there's magic there's friendships adventures for all so much to it's the same key it's the same melody and everything and, and we asked him like hey like should we do something about this? And what he, he told us was that, well, what if like, you went to court for this, what they're going to do is they're going to hire a team and they're going to go back through a history of music all the way back to classical. And they're going to present probably a lot of examples of this melody throughout the history of music and say, well, you actually weren't the first. Right. So you have to have like multiple, multiple things within your song that, um, point to that it has to be like very obvious like the sam smith tom petty thing like when you hear about it you're like wait hold on a second and then you listen to it you're like oh shit okay this is exactly the same thing yeah i recognized that one before that became like a thing people talked about i'm like that's that's tom petty Love, 
actually, I'll go on record saying that there's a another band in in Punchline's world that had a song <laughs> named the same the same name as a Punchline song, and uh, there's definitely similarities. Really, I don't, I don't know, know what you're talking, talking about. about. Spoiler alert! <laughs> drop it. Who I can't wait it? to find yeah. out. Yeah, when is this going to be next <laughs> on on next episode? I mean, I totally could just say it, but actually, I'm going to make this a game. And uh, if anyone thinks they know what it is, send us a message. And the winner, uh, if someone gets it right, we'll uh, we'll send you something. Okay, that's a good cliffhanger there. And and Corey, <laughs> just to make it clear, are you saying that we had the thing first, or that we knocked somebody else off? I actually don't even know. Oh <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh. I'm going to assume that it wasn't punchline i think i know what it might wow, be interesting i like this can i can we win can we play this well game? i'll just tell you guys I, well, <laughs> you know once we stop recording here oh, that's unless you like, want to play i won't tell you i like ending on this game this is exciting I'm, i hope people <laughs> i hope people uh let us know their guesses <laughs> and uh let us know if it was us who i don't think we ever intentionally ripped maybe maybe in our on our demo tapes or something well honestly and even if it was them i'm sure what it is is a case of like the subliminal thing. You don't know you're doing it. It's just you heard it somewhere and right. then you start to write a song or, you know, it just comes to you. And next thing you know, your record's out. Right. And some dude on a podcast calls you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> this was fun. I hope that everyone listening enjoyed the Rewind EP episode, is enjoying the podcast in general, and is looking forward to, wow, we got a big one coming up next. We This was like, wow, a lot of stuff happened in this next era. Is this going to be a multiple part going forward for for this next era? It's a saga. It is really because I, I, yeah, I feel like it could at least be a trilogy. You yeah, know, I think we got to fit it into one episode somehow. But yeah, man, oh man, this is uh, getting into it. We're get we're getting into it next episode. But uh, oh yeah. <laughs> all right, I guess that's the end of the episode, everybody. <laughs> we all just stopped talking at once. <laughs> We're out of we're out of stuff to talk about. I did love that Krista makes uh, called out punchlines hacking over the years. Oh, yeah. yeah, were you guys hacking back then? Yeah, of yeah. dude, oh, we've been man. hacking. Yeah, Hack we've been hacking life. since high school. Like we were hacking yep. at, at the high school same. lunch. I mean, same. So we that's so great that all us hacky sackers ended up in the same band. Yeah, it's yeah. Common bond. <laughs> what are the chances? We're the only four people that care about. Hacks. I know you guys didn't dress there at midnight back then, though. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another reaction episode of a band called Punchline. If you're enjoying the show, please text it or email it or post about it or tell a friend who you think would like it. We always appreciate that. We'd also super appreciate it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it'll help more people find out about the show. And, of course, check out our music. We have a ton of it streaming at all the normal places, but if you want even more stuff than what's available on the streaming sites, check out our Bandcamp site at punchline.bandcamp.com. If you're listening to this episode before July 8th of 2022, come on out to the Thunderbird in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for our 25-year anniversary show. I promise it'll be a night to remember. And if you're listening to this after July 8th of 2022, come on out to some other show. Go to punchlinemusic.com. It's a site with a bunch of links to places relating to Punchline. Anything you need, 
punchlinemusic.com. Thanks, everybody. Get ready for an epic next episode because we're going to be stepping into the action era. Oh, boy. Just in time for your summer playlist. Punchline's new single, Find Yourself, is out now. Everybody got so good at everything. I'm just over here trying to keep my house clean. I have an flow, man. It's up and it's down. I'm wondering if this is why people leave town. This is a joke, man. This is a fight. Trying to find yourself in the right place, the right time. Listen to Punchlines Find Yourself on Apple Music, Spotify, and everywhere else you can stream music. Duh.